the optimal life. Oh, and I'm Mary with an I, by the way, not Mari, just in case. Well, welcome to the show, Mary with an I. How are you? you? I'm good. Yes, <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Uh, doing great. Um, so it looks like your addiction journey started at a pretty young age. Well, actually, yeah. When I learned the method that I teach now, I was I was a smoker. So I and I looked. I mean, I pretty much tried to stop smoking every night. You know, I, well, I started when I was fourteen. So yeah, it was a young age. Um, but I would say by the time I was 16, I thought, this is a bad idea. You know, I need to stop doing this. But then, of course, I was like 27, I think, when I finally found a method that actually made some sense to me. So and then I um, I was able to stop smoking and I worked with nicotine addiction for many years with with my mentor at the time who basically taught most of Portland to stop smoking. Mm. And then, uh, yeah, and then I went out on my own. She moved to Florida, so I was able to teach here without competing with her. So yeah. at 14 years old, you do like so many other kids. Ah, let's go sneak away. Let's go smoke a cigarette. We're going to be so cool. Yeah. Right? I remember I did it. Trust me. I, yeah. I, and, oh, yeah. Uh, we Are snuck into a, the park. Were you a smoker for an extended period of time? or No, I, I wasn't. I don't think I have an addictive personality, thankfully. Um, yeah. Some others may beg to differ, but I was yeah. able to. I, I was able to. Uh, um, I, I never really enjoyed it that much. Although I would admit there was times in college and, and uh, law school where, you know, everyone would just be smoking cigarettes. So that was the fun thing to do. So, um. Yeah. But, well, most people aren't able to do that. You know, that's usually it, they say it takes like two to three cigarettes in adolescence to become addicted. That's all you it know, takes. I, I had the first one and I almost threw up, you know, but then it was like, oh, I'll take another one of those, please. And I was in. I was Well, you had the first one. You almost threw up. But then you realize, wait a second, what is this feeling that what is this head rush that I'm getting right here? This is something different. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, nicotine's a very handy little drug. Mm. Yes, it's it's it's, it's biphasic. It gets it brings you up when you're down and calms you down when you're hyped up. So what was the what what was your first cigarette? What brand? Well, I'm pretty sure. Oh uh, well, I think it was Newport, and then I was Newport. in Newport. You went right. You went right for the jugular. Yeah, the <laughs> menthol. But then I would steal them from my dad, and he smoked L and M's. So, so you didn't yeah. start, you weren't starting with the, the minor league stuff. You weren't going like Marlboro Light. No. You no, were no, going no. right for the hard stuff, the menthol. Yes. Yeah. I, I, and I feel like I wouldn't even want to smoke if I couldn't have the menthol, but I probably would, you know, because it's all about the nicotine, you know, without so the nicotine, us, no one's going to do it. So. so so that's something that a lot of people are, are dealing with now. I mean, parents don't even realize it. Their kids are... are running away where was your first cigarette was it in the woods like mine or where was it somewhere else it was outside of the roll arena we used to go roller skating and my sister or excuse me my friend sue stole it from her brother and she's like i got a couple cigarettes we were outside the roll arena and yeah it was um but like i say i was full on in but now people are dealing with vaping mm. you know this is 
It's so much easier to hide. I remember we try to hide our cigarettes. We'd roll them up in our socks and stuff, you know, and it's now it's vaping. And they even it's so misunderstood that they even think that people that people are successfully stopping smoke, stopping smoking if they're vaping, you know, right. and it's just you're just it's the same drug, you know, whether and like calling like um, the, the gum and the patch and stuff like that, calling it medication. You know, it's right. like, it's not medication. You're just in, you're just, you know, administering the same drug a different way. So it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. yeah so uh, yeah, I want to, I want to hear a little bit about your, your journey. So you're 14, you, uh, you become addicted overnight essentially. Yeah. And, um, Hold how, on. How, how does it, how does it start ramping up? I mean, I, what, what, what point are you smoking at least a pack a day? Oh, probably as soon as I could get away with it. I was out of the house by the time I was 18, so easily then, you know. But when you're hiding it from your parents, it's a little harder. You were able to hide it for four years before you moved out. They had no clue. Yeah, yeah. They never oh, smelled they, it on you. They probably they probably knew, you know, but... They knew, know. but they wanted to be in denial. So they smell the smoke. Yeah. But they're like, oh, she must just be surrounded by friends who are smoking. And my dad was a smoker. So there's a little hypocrisy right there. You know, mm. how do you how do you get on my case about it when you're doing it? Interesting. So, yeah. I remember so when he stopped, we used to harass him all the time. But I think that he and I were smoking at the same time. I think. When did your parents find out about your smoking addiction? When I was um, when I was out of the house. You know, and then it was like, I'm, I'm on my own. I'm doing my own thing. So you can't tell me what to do. And and then just started smoking in front of them. But back oh. then, you know, people smoked in the houses. They smoked anywhere and everywhere, you know. You used to go on, an, you used to go on the airplane, the, the back half of the plane was smoking. That's right. They had the ashtrays. Now it's they have people on those, like, the cages, you know, the smoke cages in the, it's, um, yeah. It's, it's, just, hard, it's hard to believe it wasn't that long ago. I mean. That well, literally... the thing is, people—it's not when they go on a plane. It doesn't really matter that much because they can—they can get away with vaping. You're not supposed to vape in the bathroom, but who's going to know? You know, and right. and they got the pouches. Now the pouches are those are some handy little things right there. It's like, have you seen them? I have. It's, yeah, it's like a little rock salt thing. Mm -hmm. that, but it's like it's people get jacked up on those. I was working with a cocaine addict who. Um, was trying to get his cocaine buzz off of those. And he was pretty jacked up when he had one going in his cheek. Interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. So does there come a point at, at, at what point are you at the, where, where you, I know you kind of want to stop, but then you keep going. What, what was happening where you're kind of maybe into your twenties where you're like, this is not serving me. I really need to find a way to stop this. Was it, was it impacting your health, your physical, your mental? Oh yeah. Me well, mental monkey on your back, you know, it was definitely, I was just totally controlled by it. And also I had a cough, you know, I could, I was already coughing and I mean, it's not rocket science, you know, it's like, this is poison. You're like, inhaling on a regular basis and it's i mean i knew i'm not stupid i knew this was really bad and but i also everything i tried was just ridiculous until i got into the class my mentor's class i i read her ad 
when we used to put ads in newspapers, right? Um, it was a dear smoker ad and she's sitting in this reclining chair, just kind of like talking to you. And I read it for two years. And finally I called her and I said, Hey, how much is your class? And she said, well, how much do you smoke a day? And I said, well, a pack a day. She said, well, it sounds like you're spending a couple of dollars a day to do yourself in anyway. She didn't give me the price. Right. But I got in there, it was $225 and it was, I mean, nothing compared to what I've got, got out of it, you know, but sure. cigarettes were only two bucks a pack back then. Now they're like 10 bucks a pack. So I know, it's incredible. And those vape pens, those are, those are expensive too. And they end up in the landfill, you know, it's pretty awful. So what was her secret? What was her secret to getting you to break the addiction? The secret? Well, I would say is um, a way to be with the compulsive desire and not have to act on it. And not acting on that desire is what makes it ultimately go away. And having a script, which is what I use in my classes now, um, basically to get you through withdrawal, to be with the desire, not try not to think about it, which is everything that's out there now. Try not to think about it. Substitute, you know, uh, replace it with a healthy behavior, all this kind of stuff. Let me just let me just stop you, Mary. When you say that that's what everything is out there now. Yeah. What, what do you mean by that? As far as like treating addiction, I mean, not just nicotine addiction, but a food compulsion. I mean, all of it is like, well, food, they don't even see that as an addiction. Um, but like all the other addictions, it's find a way to not think about it. Go on a Zen retreat, get creative, journal. You're, you know, you're saying that it's all in our face everywhere you look. There's all this stuff. Is that what you're oh saying? Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. yes. It's, and, and I'll tell you what, Nate. I've like, there's so much of it underestimating addiction that I've almost given up many times. I've like, oh, to hell with this. I just cannot even, I can't come up against this anymore. But then I look around me and I see the suffering and the people that I do work with the suffering. And I think I have a viable solution for this, you know? And, and so then I jump back in. Then I yes. Write, so, write so you. that's. So that was a really good point because so the first thing that you do is recognize here's the compulsion up. Oh, yes. It's four o'clock. It's my witching hour, whatever it right. is. Right. Right. Here it is again. Here's the compulsion yeah. feeling. And you're saying the first thing you must do is first off, you must recognize the feeling is here. Yes. Recognizing it is the first thing, but the natural instinct for anybody, when you have that desire to act out on an addiction, when you have that addictive desire, the first instinct is get away from it. Don't don't feel it. Anything you can do to not think about it, because normally you have it, you're going to act on it. That's what you know, right? But the thing is, is if you don't if you don't stay with it, then you're going to act on it anyway. I mean, it's just it's just that's what happens. So that's what I teach is a way to be able to stay with it. Stay with it when everything in you is going to say, and everything outside of you is going to say, avoid it. Don't get triggered. Run from it. You know, run and hide. Ah, here's the desire. Run and hide. Get away from it. You and know, and so often we run away from it by actually going and doing the exact thing that it is, right? I mean, you're right? running away from it. And the way you just say, oh, you act on it. You act on the compulsion. Yeah, because you don't know what else to do. 
And see, that's the thing I like with all the diet stuff is like, they keep giving people all this nutrition, healthy eating, fitness, and, you know, people know what to do. You know, they know what to do to be healthy or whatever. What they don't know is how to deal with the compulsive desire to eat far beyond what is reasonable. That's what, that's where obesity comes from. People eating far beyond what is reasonable. That's where it comes from. And that's what people don't know how to deal with is that desire. They, I mean, I'll tell you what, I've worked with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of compulsive eaters. They could all teach a nutrition class. You know, they it's, they, it's not that they don't know what they should do. Right. You know, it's not the problem. So, so, so yeah. your, your teacher taught you the first step was recognize the compulsion. The second step was live with it. Don't run from it. Yeah. How to stay with it long enough to make a choice in that moment of compulsive desire and not have to act on it. Okay. And not acting on it is what is going to. Now, how long typically make it go it away? It probably varies, but if let's let's talk uh, about uh, food compulsion because that's what. Yeah. But th- this could be anything. It could be cigarettes. It could be alcohol. It could be anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how long does that does that last for some people? Well, with me for nicotine addiction, I mean, I work. The work that I do changes neural pathways, like literally physical, right? So I remember. When I went through withdrawal and I had my script, I swear to God, I felt I felt the neuropathway disconnect. Literally, I was like, oh, my God, I don't have to smoke myself to death. So I went through that withdrawal. And then I remember my mentor, Patricia, call me and check in. And she asked me, you know, if I was having any junky thinking, which is what we call it. And I'm like, you know, no, I'm really, I'm good. I'm good. You know, and when you say though, when you say, Mary, that you felt your neural pathway disconnect, what does that yeah. feel like? Freedom. <laughs> and see, that's what's really cool about what I teach is because the neural pathways disconnect, people can have permanent mental freedom. And I see it and hear it all the time. People in recovery that are like living on the edge, like recovery is a life sentence or go from one thing to another, to another, to another. And I'm like, that is not recovery. That is hell, people. You know, if you're constantly like, you see it like in TV dramas all the time, like Grey's Anatomy and all these people that are addicts that they haven't used in like 15 years, but then something happens. And now it's like, oh my God, I have to go to a meeting because I'm on the verge of using. And it's like, what? (laughs) In 15 years, you know, it's, it's, it's really sad that people think that recovery has to be a life sentence because when you change those neural pathways, smoking would never cross my mind as like something that I want to do. But but how long did it take you to get to that point? So you, I'm I'm trying to go through this. About a week and a half. Yeah. Just a week and a half. Yep. That's all yep. you had to do was you had to live with it. You had to recognize it, live with it, live in the moment. And as, how long typically was it each day that it would finally go, the urge would go away? Well, I stopped smoking on a Wednesday and on Friday. Well, see, with nicotine, it's really cut and dry because you go right into withdrawal. You know, food, it's different. Some of the other relationship addictions, some of those things, it's different, you know, but with food, with, excuse me, with nicotine, I hit my withdrawal on Friday night. 
And once I went through the withdrawal with my script, I mean, I had some desires, but I, I used my script, but then I hit the peak of withdrawal and I was, she warned me about it, you know, you, and it's like the peak of withdrawal. And when you really, 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 really want it, that's what your goal is where everything else is. You don't want to feel that because if you feel that you're going to act on it rather than you're going to want to act on it. Okay. So yeah, use your script, get through it. So after that, it was just like a little bit of maintenance, you know, Friday night, your peak withdrawal. What does that feel like? What, what is, what is someone experiencing when they're in that peak moment? Well, most people don't let themselves get there because everything out there is teaching them to avoid that, sure. you know, because if you have that, you know, you're going to be helpless and you're going to act on it. Right. So, so one of the, 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 a lot of people fail because they never even get to the peak. If you don't get right, to the peak, yeah. you will, you will continue to live in this loop. You'll live in the cycle. That's right. Yeah. And the thing is, is, and you can see where when people don't have effective addiction treatment and they they don't they don't have a tool for that peak of withdrawal for those compulsive desires you know that's that's rough it's like of course they're going to feel they're going to feel helpless they're going to feel like they're going mad you know what i mean you talk about the mental illness epidemic well i would i would bet my life that all of these mentally ill people now that we have are are addicts that have not found a viable solution to their addictions. Mm. I would bet my life on it, you know, because I mean, before I found my this methodology to deal with smoking, I thought I'd go crazy. I thought, oh my God, I am stuck, you know, ingesting this drug that's killing me. Mm. And I have no, and, and I thought my only choices were gonna be, either I'm gonna be miserable smoking and scared to death and killing myself, or I'm going to be miserable trying not to smoke. I thought those You're going to be miserable choices. one way or another. Yeah. So you might yeah. as well smoke because at least you get temporary relief from the misery, right? <laughs> so again, you, did, you didn't, you said that most people don't get there. So I want to go back to that. If yeah. you can get there, that peak yeah. feeling, what are you going through? You want to pull your hair out? You want to jump off of a bridge? Like what, what does that peak feel like? Well, see, the thing is, is it's a, it's very, very strong desire. It's a lot of junky thinking, like, I don't care. I just want to have one, all this kind of thinking. But truthfully, Nate, with the script that I give people to use through withdrawal, it's not that hard <laughs> because you know it's temporary and you know you have a tool to get through it. And your mind can't just go here and there and the other place because your script takes you right through it. It just, you keep going you know, back to the top of the script, make the choice back to the top, make the choice until it breaks and it breaks. And that's when I felt my neural pathways disconnect. Like literally I was like, how long God. were you in that peak for? Um, I would say, well, I remember I was sitting on the couch at first and then I got up and started pacing the living room. I remember that old futon couch of mine. That thing was so uncomfortable. <laughs> um, I would say 20 minutes, half hour, maybe. Something so like that. so a very a yeah. very relatively short period of time when you look at yeah. your life and how yeah, long you're you living. Yeah, but you can drag that. You can drag that desire out indefinitely just by feeding it other stuff. We we said um, teach follow up classes 
they were called um, substitution or, or substituting food detour to disaster. So we taught because, you know, people are told, oh, well, yeah, you're just going to eat more, you know, if you stop smoking. Well, if you try smoking food, you're just going to get really fat and then you're probably going to go back to smoking because you never hit your peak of withdrawal because you're just feeding it something else. So it's just like prolonged misery. Then you end up a fat smoker, basically. So you stayed in it for 20 to 30 minutes. And then yeah. what happens after that when it come when you come out of it? I just knew that you knew you knew you knew 48 hours after you stopped <laughs> smoking that I didn't have to do this to myself anymore and I thought why the hell didn't I call her 2 years ago? That's all it took was 2 days for you to figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it took a, a week of her class, you know. A week of her class, but you knew yeah. after two days, like this is going to be something I'm going to yeah. kick this. I don't, I, and I and I also knew that I don't mess with nicotine. She also taught me the reality of drug addiction, you know. So I haven't touched nicotine in any form in thirty some years, you know. And I wouldn't, you know. So, so people that I are, know I, I would be susceptible. You know, so yeah, so people that are suffering from food addiction, oh, compulsive eating, what a can of worms, yes. <laughs> and is it the same neuro, neuron, neurological thing that's happening to them? Sure I, I, is. How is yeah. food because when you think about food being as addictive as nicotine, that's scary, that's so scary because we all need food, right? Yeah, we don't all need nicotine, but we all need food. But it's not the food that's the addictive part. I mean, yeah, maybe some foods make you want it a little more than other foods, you know, sugar or whatever, and whatever. It, everyone wants to blame it on the food. But it's the path, it's the pathway of the compulsive desire. It's the way they use the food. You know, it's once you have once you have a compulsive relationship with food, you have that desire, then here it is in your brain. You want to act on it. And until you act on it, you want you keep wanting. It's compelling, right? So all yeah. of your clients, like you mentioned earlier, they all know, hey, this is not good. I'm not supposed to have another donut. I'm not supposed to have right. this and right. this. And th they know that this is not <laughs> this is not a healthy lifestyle. What what exactly it's what's causing it? What's causing this inability to control themselves? Well, I would say a big contributor is that they're, the focus is in the wrong place. The focus is not on the compulsive desire. The focus is on you just should be eating healthy foods. You should just be eating nutritious things and working out. They're, they're, focusing, they're focusing on the symptom, one of the symptoms, which is obesity. Obesity is only one symptom of compulsive behavior with food. It's only one symptom. I'll tell you, most of the people that come in here to, to my classes, they want peace of mind is their number one thing. Yes, they want to lose weight. Of course, they want to lose weight. You know, if, if you know, I know we're supposed to accept it and it's a body type, of which it's not a body type and all this, but being obese has a myriad of health problems. I mean, just so many health problems, you know, but of course they want to lose weight, but they want peace of mind because these mm -hmm. no one is more obsessed than a food compulsive. And what does that look like for someone that's a food compulsive? What are they going through internally? 
well, well, like, you know, just trying to, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to eat this. So then, then I have to go and run a mile, you know, so like this constant battle with, you know, balancing what they eat with their exercise, you know, it's, it's are they pretty... looking at, are they looking at like, they have a pizza in front of them, pizza, salad, wings. Are they yeah. looking at this food already? Look, it's almost like they're looking ahead. It feels like. Yeah. It seems like sure. they're like, they see that the food's in front of them. This is dinner tonight, but they're already thinking about the snack at eight 30 or nine o'clock. And they're already thinking about the next thing at 11. Is that, is that fair? Yes, that's absolutely fair. They're, they constantly think about food. And, you know, that's one of the things that is really popular now is mindful eating. And like my people want to think less about food. And another thing that's really popular for food, for food compulsion is um, an addiction in general is journaling. That's like huge right now. It's like, oh, you have your addiction journal, 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 right? Well, the problem with journaling is the addictive part of the mind takes the pen. But now the addictive part of the mind is doing the writing. If you don't know how to talk specifically back to the to the junkie thinking, you know, that addictive mind is just going to take right over that pen and good luck, you know. So someone that's listening to this that has a food compulsion problem. Yeah. And they're going, holy cow, they're frustrated. They're at their wits end. If I could just talk to Mary right now, what would you tell those folks? I would say, do come do my class, you know, for sure. But, you know, there's a lot of resistance. It's kind of like the NRA and the guns. You know, these people think I'm coming for their cookies, you know, but it's like, no, (laughs) (laughs) I'm providing freedom here, people. What what are some things, assuming that they can't, reach you literally right this second and, and they will come and do your class yeah. because you you're a proven entity but what are yeah. some low-hanging fruit exercises if they even exist that these people can put into place well the thing is, is and i'm not talking about actual exercises because yeah yeah <laughs> not yeah. physical but <laughs> mental things that they can be doing well they can stop dieting for sure because you know diets diets by nature because most are so extreme and ridiculous, they intermittently reinforce the behavior. So the more people diet, the deeper in they get, right? They gain is the that weight when back. You say, is that what you say, Mary, when you say people that diet, they end up coming back and, and putting on the weight plus interest? Right. Gaining weight with interest. Yeah. Exactly. And you know how they talk about like the obesity epidemic, the category that is on the, the biggest rise is the obesity and morbid obesity. That's why, because there's the obese, or excuse me, the overweight people that are dieting, going off, going on, going off, going on, doing the fitness, la la la. And they intermittently reinforce it so much. Now it's so intense. They're like, just to hell with it. And it just all breaks loose. Mm -hmm. And you keep building tolerance and you want more and more and more and more food. So you end up morbidly obese. Or obese, because that's why that one's on the rise. I predicted that years ago. I knew that was going to happen, and here it is. We're going. We're going for fifty-one percent by twenty thirty. You know, right? Crazy. So, so what? What are they to do in those moments? Again, is it the same thing that you had to do with the nicotine? Well, yes, but it gets a little more complicated with food because people have to eat. 
But, you know, I have a lot of exercises that require some in-depth education. Um, But, you know, one of them that I use that I find to be, I mean, I don't do imagery or visualization or anything like that, you know, but I do use the image of what I call Uncle Harry in the body cast for my people. So that Uncle Harry who got into this car accident and now he's in a body cast. So everyone has to take turns feeding Uncle Harry, right? So people are all this crap. They're processing through their minds constantly about what to eat, what not to eat, call the nutritionist, go on this diet, do this, do that, right? Okay, now it's your turn to go feed Uncle Harry. Can you feed Uncle Harry in a reasonable way without processing all this bullshit through your mind? Yes, I mean, all the stuff that they would think about about themselves with food, they would never think about. They would go feed the dude and they would move on without a second thought. I see what you're saying. And I mean, that's, I mean, as far as like giving like practical tips, what you can do at the moment, well, stop underestimating what you're dealing with. Stop focusing on nutrition and health. I mean, we're going to eat, we're going to eat, you know, recreational stuff. Why wouldn't we? Just do it in a reasonable way, you know? And for God's sake, stop teaching kids that obesity is normal, you know, or wanting to eat out of control is normal, you know? And then, I mean, call me, do my class. My class is online, but I do, I have my YouTube channel, Beyond Compulsion YouTube channel, you know, that I post videos as often as I can, just kind of educating, getting people to maybe think about it a little bit of a different perspective. You could follow me on the YouTube channel. I mean, I have my book beyond food compulsion. Um, but but what, you know, what, what I'm trying to understand is, is there, yeah. are, do you believe that these people have like some kind of genetic predisposition to not being able to control themselves to lacking discipline to no. succumbing to uh, all these things? Is that, is that predisposed? Well, you know, people talk about addictive personality. My experience with addictive personality is people that grow up in a difficult environment, you know, they get their hands on something that changes the way they feel, like binge eating, you know, whatever. Um, they latch on deep because feeling normal is not pleasant for them. But then you take the person who's got like, you know, a pretty happy environment that they live in, they get high eh, and they're like, okay, well, that was fun, but they don't latch on like that. So, but the thing is, is, uh, you know, trauma, addictive personality, all that kind of stuff is like, you can go to therapy till the cows come home and deal with all your trauma. Yes, please, people do deal with your trauma, but that's not going to change your compulsive desire your your compulsive desire is not going to disappear because you've dealt with your trauma a lot of people want a lot of people want to equate a bad experience in their life Mm -hmm. to then this is the reason that i'm acting in this manner that's correct 100 correct they're looking for reasons because they feel deprived you know, so I got well, you, you speak of dep- doing this. You speak of deprivation. And, and I want to briefly um, go through this very, very quickly, but just to highlight it at a very high level. Sure. 
sure. your Beyond Compulsion Intensive Series because deprivation is the, the second one on here. So if you can just yes. give us one or two sentences of each of your nine steps um, on your program, yeah. just to highlight what you focus on, I think that'll be helpful to the audience. So your first one is yeah. permanent mental freedom is possible. What does that mean? Well, that's where I was saying, okay, permanent mental freedom is possible. Recovery from addiction is not a life sentence. When you change the neural pathways, it becomes a non-issue. You're not constantly chasing your tail. Try, you know, it's. I've seen. You're saying so anybody can do it, Mary. Anyone can do it. One hundred percent. I mean, look at some of the like you know high-level humans out there that are suffering from addiction on a regular basis. Right. Dying, people dying. You know, some very bright human beings. So you know? anybody, if they want to do it, can make the change, can be free. That's first and foremost. Yes. And and I would say just to know that there's reasons why you keep feeling like you keep wanting to do it or living on the edge or on, on the edge of relapse all the time. And it's not because you have some sort of a flaw. It's because the methodologies that they're applying to addiction have a flaw. Mm. Okay. <laughs> or they put people so, on medications or they, 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 you know, diagnose them with all these different syndromes. The so many compulsive eaters now are being diagnosed with OCD, putting on, put them on Adderall. Well, that's because, soon, hey, Mary, they'll soon yeah. enough, they'll have soon enough. They'll have a vaccine for obesity. So, right. Oh yeah. They, well, they already do. Don't they? Ozempic or whatever. <laughs> I'm sure they do. Uh, second one back, as we just mentioned, deprivation is a state of mind. You say not a physical reality. That's right. Well, that's a whole class, but, uh, yeah, the thing is, is when people don't get on a gut level that they have a choice about this, you know, they're going to engage in their compulsive behaviors number one, to get out of the, all the feelings of deprivation that they're going to create just by thinking that way and to prove they can, you know, <laughs> and it's, it, but it's a whole entire class that I, you know, but, but you point out that this is a state at. of mind. You're saying that they're not really deprived. You're, you feel like you may be deprived, but you're really not physically. You're yeah. okay. Yeah. The definition of deprivation, the thing you want or need is either being withheld from you or is simply not available to you. No matter how bad you want it, you can't get your hands on it. Like, when's that going to happen to anybody in regard to engaging in their compulsive behavior? Segment three, the dilemma, opposing desires that refuse to be ignored. Oh, yes. The dilemma. Yeah, that's right. So people, they want to do it. They want to engage in their compulsive behavior, and they want to stop engaging in their compulsive behavior. But what they're taught is to deny one or the other. But you can only do that for a, for a limited amount of time. Hmm. Right? But you got to recognize you, you have that dilemma. Instead, it's like, oh, people, it's like, if they want to stop, find a way to not think about it. Go on the Zen retreat, you know, whatever. Take a, take a guitar class or whatever, you know, you're going to do. I work at an art center part-time and People get sent over there to deal with addictions. It's like take an art class. It's like no, that's not not the solution, people. But because you're saying that, that that's just a distraction, that's just de delaying the inevitable. That's move. correct. Okay, that's right, and and no permanent mental freedom. So the dilemma you got to recognize. 
I just start with having them recognize the dilemma. And then I show them how to how to be able to deal with the wanting. You know, that's you the say, critical you, piece. You, the number four, you say the drive behind the desire. What is that? The drive behind the desire. Is that what I said? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that would be probably, I would say, um, probably the teaching, mostly the teaching on addiction, that it's not something that you can have both ways that you can mess with, that you can have it and not have it. You know what I mean? It's uh, that's there's a lot there, too. And there's a lot of teaching there for um, nicotine addiction and and kind of debunk, debunking a lot of the misconceptions about nicotine addiction and and understanding that drive, you know, right. it's yeah. And and getting like, oh, I'm not doing it because I was traumatized when I was a child. You know, that might have contributed to you getting into an addiction. But once you've got it, it's 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 a neural pathway. Those things are physically they're connected, you know, and. And part of that discomfort of withdrawal is is that brain wants to go this way, you know, wants to go this way because that's the way it always gone, right? Until you act on it, so that's part of that discomfort is changing those neural pathways. So the fifth um, one is identifying. Yeah, the fifth one identifying the players: the rational self, the child self, and the addictive part of the mind. Oh yes, 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 yes. The voices in your head, Nate. That's yeah, a song, well, I believe. Yeah, and this is where <laughs> I'm talking about the journaling is going to fall short, you know, because the addictive part of the mind is in control. And when you're in the addiction, and then, of course, the addictive part of the mind also has the child self on their team, right? So now you've got this very shrewd addictive part of the mind that wants absolutely nothing other than for you to act on the desire, right? And then you got the emotionally immature child self pulling on your on your you know coat i want this right now you know and so there you are going oh what the hell you know what am i going to do now so i just um i teach people how to recognize well how to be able to listen to the addictive part of the mind without fear without being afraid that if i listen to it i'm going to act on it because you can't the addictive part of the mind is outsmarting addicts, right? So, and you can't turn that around and outsmart the addictive part of the mind without listening to it, right? But people are afraid of it. So that's, I do a lot of stuff there. Um, actually, more imagery. I just said I didn't do imagery, right? I use the, um, I use the man behind the curtain from The Wizard of Oz for that. Mm. So there's, that's the addictive part of your mind ploys, deceptions, making you think it's big and scary and stronger than you. But then Toto pulls back that curtain, right? So, and there you see, it's all just, you know, buttons and levers. And then I teach them how to rewire each one of those. And there's a, there's probably about, oh, eight or nine different categories of, of deceptions and ploys by the addictive part of the mind. Mm, okay. It's a chapter in my book. Okay. It's like the it's, devil and angel, uh, all this it's stuff. Right. It's, it's, yes. You got to recognize that you have yeah. the good and the bad, and they're constantly in conflict with each other. But Number then six. have the powerful tool to be able to make a different choice in the moment. That's what's mostly missing out there, you know? Yes. Number six is get, give up, and glamorize. It's not what you're going to get out of it. 
It's what you're trying to get out of. <laughs> what is yeah, that? What's, what you're trying to get out of. For, yeah. Yeah. You're, what you're trying to get out of is the discomfort of withdrawal. But you can see, you make a list of what you actually get out of it. When people engage in their compulsive behaviors, they get a whole lot of misery, right? They get a little temporary relief. But most of my people, they don't get that anymore. It's just right. like, oh, shit. It's, it's a brief it. dopamine hit, and that's it. It's gone quick. Yep. It's gone very quick. And so then we look at what are you giving up in order to continue to participate in this, in this addiction, right? Sure. But then the glam, see, they can look at it in black and white and go, oh, this relationship, this is really bad news, right? But then they glamorize it. And this is a lot where the normalizing the food compulsion comes in. Oh, you deserve it. Just reward yourself. Is that where you turn on like the Nathan's hot dog eating competition just to motivate you? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I there was an interesting uh, example of the normalizing of food compulsion, which is another epidemic and so detrimental. Oh, my God. So did you happen to see the Matthew Perry interview with Diane Sawyer? I don't think so. Well, he's been struggling with addiction forever and ever and ever. And this, there's a couple of things, you know, there's the, you know, recovery being a life sentence. He was in, he went to 6,000 meetings, AAOA, whatever he was doing. He was going between his, his narcotic, you know, prescription drugs and alcohol back and forth. Um, he did, he spent $9 million and he went to rehab 15 times. He almost died. And your people look at this and go, oh, my God, that's what it means to get free of addiction. And he still isn't free because he said at the end of the interview, he said, oh, now I'm going to go home. This 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 interview was stressful for me. So now I'm going to go home and have some toffee pudding. So people, what, what I'm hearing from you is that what these people that are that are in caught in these cycles is that whenever yeah. they have an uncomfortable moment or feeling or whatever's happening in their lives they immediately say i am going to fix this by fill in the blank and it's always yeah. some part of their addictive personality and behaviors food drinking booze yeah. sex gambling yeah the list goes all on and on i work with all of those that you just named yeah and they and that and they're all doing the same regardless of what their addiction is right they're using these they're caught in this mental state where yeah. it's like, oh, I just had a stressful hour-long conversation with you. I need yeah. to get home and I got to turn to my addiction. Yeah, and guess what? You don't need a reason. You can, you, a deprivation, you can engage in your comp compulsive behavior all you want. It's, as long as you're willing to live in hell, the hell of the consequences of engaging in compulsive behavior, you don't need a reason. But that's where that glamorize comes in. <gasps> Oh, I'm going to do it because it's going to make me feel better. It's going to handle my emotions. It's just going to handle my stress. People don't engage in addictions because they're stressed, Nate. They are stressed because they're stuck in an addiction that they can't get out of. Mm. It's so backwards. It but, is, it's, yeah. but they treat it with, they treat addiction with stress management 90% of the time. You, you said you handle some of all the ones that I mentioned. I'm just curious before we finish up on the yeah. uh, your, your nine part series, we're yeah. getting to number seven. But yeah. before we get there, what does that look like for a sex addict? Well, your clients they they 
have sex, but they're never fully fulfilled? Uh, what does that well, mean? Well, that I mean, like with any of the addictions that you need to engage in, like food, like screen time, relationships, of course, you can go without sex or without relationships. I call them relationship anorexics, you know, but to be able to have get to the point that you have reasonable sex at reasonable times. Okay, if you're watching porn and do wagging it 24 seven, you know, whatever, or it's causing you all kinds of negative consequences, you can't stay in a relationship, whatever, it's people are getting hurt, whatever. It's like, um, I get people to be able to get to a point of reasonable engagement at reasonable times. That's what I do with food. That's what I do with the sex addiction. That's what I do with relationship compulsion. You know, it's like if you're if you're in a relationship with someone that you're texting them, you know, 6,000 times a day and rewriting it 5,999 times, this is not reasonable engagement, mm. you know, because all these different things we want to we're human. We want to change the way we feel. We want to check out of this human condition from time to time. But if you can do that in a reasonable way and it's not a problem to you, great. Yeah, we want to change the way we feel. But that's not where people are at right now. <laughs> people are just like, give me this, give me that all the time. It's and it's and it's condoned. You know, you deserve it. What what's yeah. an extreme case of someone that's a sex addict? How how many times a day do they need to have some kind of sexual activity? Oh, I don't know. It varies, you know, and the thing is, it's what's, not a, that, what's a real extreme one that you've seen? Well, I would say the ones that one of them was it was quite often, but it was more he was putting it all on his wife. So it was like somehow she needed to be taken care of. So this is where the problem came in. So he didn't really share that much with me as far as like the amount of time he spent, you know, whatever. But it was he really wanted to save his marriage. So it was more, you know, the energy that he was coming at her with was more of the problem, I would say. I see. Mm -hmm. Very yeah. complicated. Very yeah. complex because I, I know it's there's a lot of commonalities, but boy, you're dealing with a whole spectrum of people. Well, are... one of the biggest things that I come up against in my business and spend the most time undoing is learned helplessness. People learned helplessness, learned helplessness. If I want it, if I, if I want a cookie, I'm going to, or if I eat a cookie, I'm going to eat the whole box of cookies rather than, oh, if I eat a cookie, I may want to eat that, you know, but it's all, and, you know, and then it comes into play with like the, all the syndromes, all the OCD, I'm this, I'm that, and I'm, I'm all these labels. Therefore, if I want something, I have to do it or I'm going to be suicidal or I'm going to be, you know, in the fetal position on the floor crying or whatever, you know, these horrible things are going to happen to me. I'm going to become depressed. It's like it's so there's so much learned helplessness and it's really working against us, you know, wow. rather than, OK, you want this. OK, you, here's your opportunity to be able to think this through and make a choice in the moment based on your long term health, happiness and peace of mind. Right. Empowerment. I hate that word, but it, it's the it's, word. Uh, yeah, that's it's it's yeah. very very. This is a fascinating topic. So let's finish it up with the the rest of your series, and then we'll we'll talk sure. about where people can find you. Uh, okay. Seven was negotiating with addiction a lost cause. 
this is not based on this. You're saying that you could try all you want to negotiate. You're not going to win this one. That's right. That's exactly right. And the thing is, is it's like people just need to understand that they don't get to have it both ways. They like can when you have, say, Mary, Mary, when you say, I'm sorry, but when you say yeah. ne- uh, negotiating is a lost cause, is that like, hey, I maybe, you know what, instead of having five cigarettes tonight, I'm going to have just one. Yeah. Is that the negotiation? Yeah, just all of it. Like thinking, thinking that you can engage in your addiction and not pay the consequences and not be in it full time. And I get people to the point where, you know, you can you can learn by thinking. It's like, do you have to stick metal in an electric socket to know you're going to get zapped? No, because right. you learn by thinking. Somebody taught you that, right? So teaching people that, yeah, you can engage in your addiction, but then you got to pay the consequences of that. And the most significant consequence of engaging in addiction is it's a full-time gig. It's not like, oh, I'm going to be okay with smoking or binging, you know, every third Thursday. No, it's a full-time gig. You wake that beast up and, you know, you're in it. It's all or nothing, it sounds like. Uh, and, and that is for some things, yes. Um, and it, But the thing is, is like for food or the, or the uh, addictions that you need to engage in to stay alive or to, you know, whatever, those, it's... It's it's about teaching people that they do know, that right. they do know when they're going beyond, that they do know when they're messing with it so that they can become reasonable within those right. behaviors that you need to Food would be different because that is, like we talked about, that you need. Yeah, well, but, people uh, use it as a reason. Well, I have to eat. Well, you don't have to. I had one guy who was like sucking the stuff out of the jelly out of the donuts and re-injecting them with whipped cream. I'm not even kidding. Oh my god, <laughs> it's not funny. I mean, it's it's I funny, it's but not. it's funny because you you yes. can't believe it, and it's yeah. but it's really sad that some people are are struggling like that. Well, they uh, make number, jokes out of it way too much. They're well, you have to. I think you have to to keep much. your keep your sanity. Uh, number eight is the mental stance positioning for success. What yes. That? And that is where I teach people the difference between, you know, they're going to use, they're going to have their script to get through the desire, right? But just the idea of like how you're going to approach this thing, if proactive versus reactive, offense versus defense, you know, you're not going to, is smart versus safe, all these things where you're not going to give the addictive part of the mind more credit than you get. You know, so you're going after it. The addictive part of the mind should be, you know, defending itself from you, not the other way around. Going after desires, not trying to avoid them. And so then when you take that stance, then when push comes to shove, you've got your script to really change the neural pathways. Beautiful. Uh, And the final one, the critical choice, number nine. Do you want hell? Or do you want health, happiness, and peace of mind? Yeah, what do you want? You know, it's like, and that's where the script gets them all the way through to be able, and we document um, the the um, if you if you choose this, here's what you get. If you choose this, here's what you get. And then to really create real estate in the mind based on at this moment, I choose right based on this and this right. And then when they can make that choice, 
that's when and consistently make that choice and not, you know, mess with it, mess with addiction and really understand it and know what they want. That's where the desire goes away permanently, permanent mental freedom. It's possible and people just don't believe it, but it's true. Mm. Yes. Like I said, fascinating stuff. You're doing phenomenal work. Um, Thanks. Talk to us about your website, where people can find you, uh, social media, et cetera. Yes. Well, I have um, beyondcompulsion.com. And I strongly recommend for like health professionals, you know, wellness practitioners, all these people and addicts, you know, as well to read I Brought Sad Food. It's on the philosophy page. It's the article I Brought Sad Food. That is that's the the most recent thing that I've written. And, you know, if we don't start looking at this normalizing a food compulsion, it's hopeless, like literally hopeless. I mean, because anybody who's trying to stop an addiction and someone's telling them, well, just have a donut and you'll feel better, you know, as if compulsive eating isn't a very extreme addiction. And, you know, then there's the bulimia and the anorexia, which are all the same compulsion, just different extensions of that. Yeah, I thought about that when you mentioned I'm going to eat this, but then I'm going to go for a five mile run. Right. That took me down to those thoughts like, hey, the the people that have the the food disorders, those could manifest in so many other things as well. Obesity is a symptom of an eating disorder. Um, And I just want to put one thing out there to the world. Hopefully the world hears it. Teaching kids about nutrition is creating eating disorder children. I feel 100% confident in saying that. And we'll just leave it there. Um, But so, yeah, I would say read I Brought Sad Food. And my book is available there. My class is available there. Um, I've also got my film there, Seven Misconceptions About the Obesity Epidemic, which is a fun one to watch because I hired an illustrator here in Portland who... She's drawing and coloring the whole time, which makes it real pleasing to look at. Absolutely. And then my YouTube channel, Beyond Compulsion, to subscribe to that. I can, you know, I post as often as I feel moved. And and I I have a Facebook page as well, Beyond Compulsion. Perfect. Mm -hmm. And and we'll make sure we've linked some of that in the show notes, beyondcompulsion.com. That'd be great. If you guys want to learn more about Mary, it's a, it is a very good article. I, I read it. I did read a, a vast majority of it. Yeah. Um, and uh, Beyond Compulsion on Facebook. We, we'll link some of this in the show notes. Check her out. Yeah, and if you're and struggling. You know, the class, oh, sorry. The class is there, but I really recommend people connecting with me directly. And I mean, can I get my phone number? Sure. That, whatever you're comfortable yeah. with. It, people can text and call because I know that Addiction, I mean, thinking about stopping an addiction, there's a lot of trepidation, there's a lot of anxiety. So people can text or call. I'm at 503-502-9340. And, and if people want to do my class online, that's great. But I'm I'm uh, available for follow-up work, which is very important as well. And I can do FaceTime, I can do Zoom, I can do phone. I do a lot of phone work, actually. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful stuff. Yeah. Well, Mary, thank you so much for uh, shedding insight into this uh, very important, critical topic that so many people are struggling with. I meant to ask you my final question, but and then before yeah. we finish, is um, we've talked about obesity a, a dozen times. What's the definition of obesity? 
Well, I think that just comes off like the chart, the BMI chart yeah. or whatever, you know, I just, I, I think it's, it goes by percentage. I don't really pay much attention to that kind of thing because of course it's just a symptom, you know, it's it goes like, by percentage of body fat or body mass index yeah. or whatever that is. And, 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 that. and we're, and we're yeah. expecting it. It used to be 15% not long ago. Americans were right. obese. Yeah. And now we're looking at 50, 50, 50 or 51% almost in the next couple of years. So it's a, it's a, you huge know, in the change. article, um, you probably saw, you know, what back then when I was in high school, a long time ago, but um, nobody focused on nutrition, nobody focused on healthy eating, nobody focused on fitness. And there was absolutely no talk of no normalizing of food compulsion language at all. We had one obese girl in my class. We had like three, 300 and some kids in my class. We had one obese girl, one. We say, oh, now disease, it's a disease, right? Where does disease just pop up out of the blue, you know? Well, we're seeing that. We can we can go into a whole five-hour long podcast because- Yeah, we can do another one. Is happening. That type of stuff is happening in so many areas in our society today. I know. Yeah. <laughs> It's That's amazing. why I keep jumping back in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. But uh, yeah. this was great. Maybe we'll reconnect and do part two. Thanks so much, Mary. I love uh, that. Uh, again, the website, guys, beyondcompulsion.com. And uh, wishing you continued success. And you too. And thank you again for having me. I appreciate it so much.